Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Casey Tanner. And I'm Camille Lewis. And this is SafeWord. SafeWord is sex therapy unhinged because instead of being a blank slate that's just here to support you, we're telling you the details on our own sex lives, relationships, identities, and more. This isn't sex and it's not therapy, but we are sex therapists and what you hear today may excite you. Each week we tackle a theme related to sex, relationships, gender, and more. This week we're diving into conflict in relationships. so excited about this one are you i'm excited too i feel like we've got a buzz like an energy happening betwixt us is this masochistic of us a little bit do we is this why we became therapists because we we love the drama i mean that is my spiel i love the drama (laughs) what if that was your therapist website camille lewis (laughs) loves Loves the the drama drama. (laughs) fill out an intake form today (laughs) Oh, what's been new with you? What's going on? You know, I've been taking a little bit of a step away from some of my responsibilities to try to write a book, attempt to write a book. It is the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm. I don't know that I would do it again if I had the option, but here I am in the middle of the process and it's coming. I don't know. What's new with you? You're going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. And I think it seems and feels super time consuming, but I'm just so excited for you. (laughs) I want a signed copy. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, what's new with me? What's new with me? You know, not a whole lot. I'm usually, I feel like I've been, in the past like several months, I've like been places, like I've traveled places. I haven't been anywhere in like several weeks. So mm-hmm. that actually feels nice. I'm just like at home and I have you're nesting furniture yeah it's cute and i'm excited to see you in a few days i know counting it down so okay so any conflict any conflict that you can tell me about Mm. 
You know, I am pretty uninvolved with people as of late. How's that? My, My friend, friend, she's like, like you, you just, just love a little texty. Like, like you like, like a, somebody like to, to be texting. texting. And, and it's, it's true. I usually have somebody, somebody like, like I am constantly, constantly texting. Ooh. Is there anything you're discovering in not having it right now? Hmm. Yeah. yeah, how used to talking to other people I am. And like, I also took like Instagram and TikTok off my phone. So my phone just pretty much does nothing. Oh my gosh. So You're really alone with your own thoughts right now. I am alone in my own thoughts in my own house. And like, I'm just like, oh, this is really intense. Yeah, no conflict recently. I wish I had some more tea. I need to like spice up my life. I have a feeling that's, that it's just around the corner knowing you. Yeah, I'm ready. Well, I have plenty for both of us. Let me just put it that way. Um, Mal and I have had a rough month. And I think it's in part because we just had like so much of our routine disrupted. We just moved. Yeah. Um, we just started sharing finances like a month and a half, two months ago. Um, my work schedule was weird this month. I was traveling all month. And all of that sort of routine disruption just had us both like not on our game. Like we yeah. have the tools, we weren't using them as much as we normally do. But I will say that with the help of couples therapy and like some very long conversations, I feel like we're doing better than ever now. I feel like we've really hacked some of our conflict in a different way. I think I'm, I'm much more the anxiously attached partner that's like, we need to talk about this right now. Yeah. I cannot tolerate space. But I think what I've realized is how often in these relationships where one person is anxiously attached and one person is avoidant, or, you know, if there's multiple people, there's an amalgamation of that. Like mm -hmm. how often we end up defaulting to the anxiously attached person's needs because mm. I think for me, at least as an anxiously yeah. attached person, I'm a squeakier wheel. I'm louder about my needs as a more avoidant person. She has a harder time naming them. So ultimately we default to what I want, but then at the end of the day, she ends up processing more quickly than she's ready for. Of course it doesn't go well. So I think I'm learning how to not always make things default to my anxious needs to learn some of the benefits of an avoidant approach or at least come to honor an avoidant approach in a way that I didn't before. And that's been really helpful. That's, that's so interesting. interesting. Well, first, I'm, I'm so, so glad, glad that you're feeling like on the, the other side, side of this. And because I know it's, it's just, just so, so distressing, distressing to be in conflict with a partner. And I share in that attachment style with you. I'm very, very, very anxiously attached. And I think I learned that through like one of my first relationships and my partner at the time like described his emotions as like a mountain and I don't really get it, but he'd be like, I just take a really long time to come, like to get someplace and a really long time to come down. I like that. I would constantly be like, we have to figure this out. We have to figure this out. We have to like, re like, cause it was so dysregulating and it would always end up in me getting an answer that I didn't want to get because I would rush somebody and it reminds me of a Gilmore Girls episode, but you know, whatever. I was watching that yesterday. Wait, which episode? Do you Where, like Gilmore Girls? When I say that I like Gilmore Girls, it is an understatement of the year. Camille, I can't take this in right now. This is my number one show of my whole life. This is my number one show of my whole life. No fucking way. Oh my. Was Lorelai like completely a sexual awakening for you? First of all, constantly just staring at both of them. Oh my God, Camille. Can we watch it next yes. week? No, can we please? I literally just watched the whole series and then do it again. Yeah. So. It's so comforting. 
It's so, and I was like, this show has aged so well, especially to be about rich white people. Somehow they still did it. It is so good. Oh my God, this is so exciting. (laughs) I know. I literally used to wake up like four hours before school started, Mm -hmm. go into my basement. This is the one of the weirdest things I've ever told you. I used to heat up, do you know those like Campbell soups that like are like in the shape of a to-go cup that you heat up in the microwave and you drink the little stars out of them? I used to just pound those in my basement (laughs) watching Gilmore Girls. Like- Every day. That sounds at, in really high school. lovely. That sounds Yeah, it got amazing. me through my parents' divorce. Okay, so the episode I'm referring to is like when after like the big fight at Richard and Emily's vow renewal and Christopher comes and crashes it and Luke is like, I need space. I need time. And she's freaking out. And then oh, she yeah. finds him at Dozie's Market oh. and is like, hey, like, what do you mean? I need time. Here, I have explanations. And he's like, you know what I think? I can't do this anymore. And she's like, oh. Oh my God, Camille, that is the perfect example. Luke is avoidant as fuck. Avoidant as fuck. But she pushed him. Yeah. And she would have gotten a different answer had she waited. Yes. Wow. When I was reflecting on like my first relationship, I was like, just like Luke. And I was like, Lorelai, because I would get in conflict with him. I'd be like, don't hang up. Please, whatever you do, don't hang up the phone. I just need to know, are we good? Are we good? And he'd be like, I just need like, I just need time. And I'd be like, what does time mean? And he'd be like, we need to break up. And I'd be like, why don't you just take a little bit more time? <laughs> <laughs> take that time. Please take that time. Oh, my God. Camille, the list of things we discover that we have in common, that is one I never expected. I know. It's like Ever. a thing. It's like, yeah. Oh it's, when people find out that about me, they're like, Gilmore Girls. Okay. And I'm like, right. it is the best show. It adds up. Somehow it actually does add up. <sighs> Let's answer some of these questions. Let's get into this because we could have a Gilmore Girls episode, let me tell you. <laughs> Oh, and we will. Yeah, let's put that on the back burner. Okay, first question. Conflict scares me. How do I lean in? So this is somebody that probably isn't a Lorelai. Yeah, Yeah, this this is is like like a Luke. Luke. I'm I'm always always curious curious to talk talk about conflict conflict as a therapist. therapist. I'm always curious to know what conflict look like for people because I think it's so telling on our like relational capacities and I think being scared of conflict is so normal because we have for some people for a lot of folks like the association between being in conflict and that being bad is so strong because maybe their models of conflict were like really intense high drama or non-existent you can be on one end of the spectrum where you're like I don't know I never saw anybody around me in conflict or all I grew up around was conflict. Either way, it's normal for fear to kick in. And and I think it's worth like looking at what conflict has meant for you historically and also to change your definition of conflict as like conversation and rather than fighting. Because for some people, conflict isn't fighting. And you can have a really de-escalated version of conflict, like being at odds with somebody that you love, which is what I'm sure we'll talk about mostly today. Learning to lean in and learning to have conflict in really low stakes ways. If you both want something different for dinner and being like, is this a point of conflict? Or is this something that I would just avoid or run away from and not voice my needs? Leaning in in low stakes ways and noticing what would be resourceful for you. So noticing if you need to talk to a friend and that really helps or noticing if you need to not talk to friends because then they start buzzing in your ear or what have you. I think it's just knowing that conflict is really unavoidable and it's not a problematic thing and it's not a sign of an unhealthy quote-unquote relationship. It just Mm -mm. is a thing. Yeah, I'm with you there and I think 
the more I do sort of couples and relationships work, the more I see different kinds of childhoods that lead to people being afraid of conflict. So like you said, there's the, you know, conflict was always highly activating, overwhelming, loud, and too much, or there was none at all. And then I also see folks who grew up in homes where things were just overwhelming at home. And it doesn't necessarily mean there was a lot of conflict. It could be that resources were more scarce. It could be that there was a divorce going on. It could be that whatever was going on, your parent or caregiver needed a lot of attention and care, which meant there wasn't a lot of attention and care for you, which meant that when you were experiencing a quote-unquote negative emotion like fear, sadness, disappointment, anger, that potentially you made yourself smaller in order to not take up more space in an already, uh, an already overwhelming family system. And so sometimes when people say, I'm afraid of conflict, what they actually mean is, I'm afraid of taking up space. I don't know mm -hmm. how. And, and in fact, what I've learned is that when I take up space, I get rejected. So yeah, Ooh. asking that why, like, right, what, what is the fear of conflict? Are you afraid of it getting loud? Are you afraid of, of being that squeaky wheel? Because mm. I think there's so many childhood routes that can lead to that fear. That was That's really well said. said. Thank you. <sighs> Do you have tips for a partner that needs space, but the other one wants to solve it right now? Hey, we were just talking about this. Literally just talking about it. So what's been so helpful for me with Mal is Mal, Mal sharing with me what actually goes on for her in that space? Because I tell myself all sorts of stories about it, right? She's over there in that space because she can't stand being around me. She's taking space because she's planning on breaking up with me, right? I can like project all of my insecurities onto it. But as we've sat down and talked about it, I've understood she actually needs that time to form words, to put language to what it is that she's feeling, often because of her own stuff. When she's in that space, she's rehearsing what happened between us, trying to figure out what she did wrong. Um, she's feeling worried about how I'm feeling. Because I had parents who took space not because they were thinking about me, hmm. right? And so I learned that space meant this very particular thing that it doesn't actually mean in this relationship. So ask your partner, or if you're the one who needs space, tell your partner, what actually goes on for you in that space? What is the process yeah. that happens there? That's so helpful because I would do the same thing. It's like, if you have space to not talk to me or look at me, then you're going to think of all the ways that you actually hate me. And they are just in their own process. I would be so fascinated to know what attracts these different conflict styles to one another. Why do we always end up in relationship with one another? And maybe it's for the best, but I'm like, maybe I just need to be with somebody else who's anxiously attached and we both talk about it and resolve it real quick. That's what our relationship is. Exactly. That's literally what it's I so great. It like works so well for me. Like, do you have time right now? And you're like, yes. I'd be like, this thing. I'd be like, I already called you five minutes ago. Literally. I'm like, you just missed my call. Phone, the phone is just like ringing, and I'm like, this is. This is insightful for me because I just, it's so, it's, it, I find it really challenging. And as like a pretty impatient person also, I'm like, you need to be over this right now. Like I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to get back to like where we are. Like I've processed it. I've communicated it. I've said it succinctly and with like, you know, all the pretty verbiage and now catch up. And I think that, yeah. That doesn't work well. <laughs> well, this is one thing I feel like you and I try to remind each other of, which is like, also not everyone thinks like us. That means uh, on a multitude of uh. levels. One, not everyone is a trained therapist who can like conceptualize a situation in a very quick amount of time. But also people think in different ways, people learn in different ways. One thing I've realized, and I've also realized this in working with couples and relationships is sometimes it can be a little bit ableist to expect that. Hmm. Like 
just in the sense that not everyone processes in that particular way. And I hadn't conceptualized it that way before, but yeah, you get what I'm saying. I was talking with somebody that I was in conflict with and they were like, not everybody communicates in the way that you do and the level that you do. And I think that I probably did have some ableist thoughts. I was like, well, why not? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, well, you should. That is the proper way to be when it's not. It's just a different way. I like for where like the person who needs space, if they, to the extent that they can, to just share how much a time estimate mm -hmm. that's like I need space what happens I think in that moment or I need time is like the question mark that it is where anxiety lives because you have no idea what that means does that mean six months does that mean six minutes does that mean six hours so I think that if the person who needs space can be like I just need like a day and a half and during that time like we're good I just need that time or can you just give me until after dinner to think about this mm -hmm. I think that that can be helpful and then it is on that person to come back and just be like hey I know I said I'd be ready after dinner I'm still thinking about it can we talk about it tomorrow morning something mm -hmm. so that that anxious person is fed a little bit but there's something to hold on to there's, there's a container and predictability yeah, yeah because otherwise it's unknown and then that person is kind of like flapping in the wind and then the more avoidant person or the person who needs more space can just be like can take it i'm with you there i i mean I tell Mal that she needs to give me a time limit you're so kind and patient camille to be like take a day and a half i'm like you have between five and 15 minutes. I know. That was really generous of me. Day and a half. Are you out your mind? Yeah, I was like, who, who are you right now? This is not I'm like, you maybe are. you need a day and a half. No, nobody gets a day and a half at all from me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. Conflict turns me on. Sometimes I pick fights on purpose just to fuck. Is that bad? I like this. I know that there are people like this. I am not one, I think, because I'm so anxious that I would never pick a fight. <laughs> but I think it's like so interesting because I think that it can feel erotic to be in conflict. I'd wonder like what you notice about the sex that you have when in conflict. Are you noticing more of your like, like bratty side comes out when you're in conflict? Are you noticing more of your dominant side comes out when you're in conflict that maybe leads you to having sex that feels more fulfilling, more kinky, more connective, whatever it is. So I'd be curious about that. But my initial answer is I don't think that it's, I wouldn't say that this is bad. I think that I'd want to know a little more. Esther Perel talks about desire being a bridge that you cross. When you have a lot of closeness in a, in a particularly in a long-term relationship, there's less and less bridges that you need to cross to get to each other in a way. And conflict and creating conflict creates a bridge, right? It's like a make your own bridge moment. Mm -hmm. And if there's that bridge, suddenly there's something to cross. And the longer that bridge is, the more desire there is, right? The more passion there potentially is. So it makes total sense to me that somebody would initiate mm -hmm. conflict as a way of creating a bridge to gap, right? Fire needs air. Conflict gives air. So I see that a lot in couples actually. And I really appreciated this. Mal and I had a, an intake with a new couples therapist and she specifically asked us about this. And she said, so many couples in relationships, they fight because it's sexy for them. And that's cool. Yeah. Like it doesn't sound like that's you two, but that is real. Yeah. And I completely agree with her. There's nothing to be ashamed of as long as well, there's nothing to be ashamed of, period. But there's nothing to be worried about if both you and your partner 
are on the same page about this. The mm-hmm. issue that that I think would arise is if you know that you're doing this and you're kind of playing this game, a partner of partners don't know, yeah. and they're now in this sort of strange, non-consensual sexual game, mm-hmm. it needs to happen together or not at all. That's so interesting. Yeah, it can feel sexy because it can feel like, oh, this is what passion is. And for you, that might be part of like your passion story. And just like I think communicating that with your partner could be fun too of like – and then you'll know like the different degrees of conflict. Like is this like a fight to fuck or is this a fight? (laughs) Right. I love that. I love this idea of having a signal almost. So it's like, okay, we we know what's happening here. (sighs) Okay, next question. So this one says, tips for when resolving a conflict where two people interpret the same experience differently. Mm-hmm. And I will say, like, that is almost all conflict. And I think that it makes total sense. I, like, I have this 90-10 rule in relationships. Typically when a conflict occurs, 90% of what each person is bringing to the table is about their past. It has nothing to do with the, the moment that they're in. And 10% of it has to do with the moment that they're in. So given that each of us is bringing 90%, 90% of what's happening is our own shit, right? Of course we're going to see it differently. Yeah. Of course when my partner leaves the room in the middle of the fight, I'm going to think of the time my mom left the room in the middle of the fight. Mm-hmm. And she's going to actually just be taking space the way that we've been talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So of course we're going to project our own narratives onto things. This is nothing to be afraid of. What what we can do here is we can just learn how to tolerate the dissonance, right? We can learn how to tolerate being different from our partners. And in fact, being different from our partners is what makes passion possible in long-term relationships. Mm. So it's okay that they saw it this way and you saw it that way. Empathize with what it would be like to be them in their shoes, seeing it the way that they did. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they can empathize with what it's like to be you, experiencing it the way that you did. And that empathy is the thing that moves you forward, not getting to a point where you see it the same way. <sighs> Thoughts on going to bed angry and thoughts on attending social events when we're in conflict. Thoughts on going to bed angry are that it is fine to go to bed angry. And I don't know if I'm in like the minority of saying that. Like I know that that's a very common thing to be like, don't go to bed angry. I don't know that it's always accessible for people to completely resolve conflict because of the hour of day. I've worked with a lot of couples who'd be like, yep, and we were up till five in the morning because we could not resolve it and we just kept hitting roadblock after roadblock. At some point, some things become hard to talk about. And the concept of like, well, we can't just go to bed, I think is kind of prohibitive because it's Mm -hmm. like sometimes people literally need to regulate and reset their nervous system that sleep can provide that very few other things can provide. So I think that forcing yourself to not be angry before you're ready to not be angry might be more detrimental when you might need you might need to go to bed angry to wake up better more regulated you mm-hmm. might need to go to bed angry and you still wake up mad but maybe your capacity is different because you've slept it reminds me of how differently we treat anger than any other emotion mm-hmm. we're not mm-hmm. never like don't go to bed sad don't go to bed happy yeah don't go to bed turned on yeah. but anger anger is the thing right but anger doesn't happen on our timelines it doesn't happen right and to your point remember the nervous system Having those seven hours of sleep might be the difference between a conversation where you're able to show up and use your tools and a conversation where there's so many vulnerability factors, you're tired, you're hungry, whatever. And so, yeah, you sleep as a tool. And as far as attending social events when in conflict, I feel like this really 
depends. And I think definitely like in queer spaces, it's hard because there can be more overlapping friendships where you're like, mm-hmm. these are our friends. Whereas I think maybe in other relationships, I feel like that doesn't happen as much. So mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes there can be like the protective nature of like, I don't want anybody to see me in conflict. I don't want people to pick sides type vibes. And I think that like sometimes getting out of the house, breaking a routine and spending time in relationship with other people can help you externalize a little bit so that you're less in like the quagmire of like your conflict with your person. You're in the same space and you're just like occupying all of each other's mental and emotional capacity. Whereas like Mm -hmm. if you go to like a social event, that might be what you needed to just be like, I can't possibly like laugh with my partner right now because they're getting on my fucking nerves. But like I can access laughter with my friends or Mm -hmm. like I can like dance and enjoy myself even though I'm pissed off and being like, oh, I can. And again, that's I feel like regulation. Yeah. Yeah, totally. No hard and fast rules. I agree with everything you said. It just reminded me of when Mal and I were in a fight and we went to this party and we looked around. We didn't know anybody and we didn't like anybody. Everybody sucked. And we and Mal came up to me and she goes, please don't leave me alone with these people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, OK. We're, and, yeah. and, and within one minute, we were good again. You're it was good. like we needed a common enemy. So sometimes going out is great because you get like you feed off of the positive energy. And sometimes, you know, you walk into some negative energy and you think you're the only person I like here. Yeah. I, I remember why I like you now. That's beautiful. I love <laughs> That's a great example. <laughs> When is the best time to bring up something that's been bothering you for a while? My recommendation would be not to bring it up when you're in conflict about something else. So if something has been Mm. bothering you for a while and then you and your partner or partners start to argue about something new um, or present, it's really... It would be really challenging, I think, at that moment to be like, and remember six months ago? They Like, I feel like... And we're also like inclined to do that because you're like, ah, this will strengthen my argument, right? Well, that's how Mm -hmm. I think. I'm like, I will win now. Um, (laughs) But I think that it's like, it, it feels less helpful in the moment. So I think that that's one thing to avoid. And I think that sometimes bringing up things that have been um, concerning you or bothering you for a while in a low stakes situation. So like, after a chill dinner, after watching TV between episodes, something that doesn't feel Um, Like it could lead to conflict, not when people are tired, not when people are hungry, just coming home from bad day. And not right after sex, not right, not right after sex. And also not when somebody is like, I'm having the best day ever. Like you want people to be like a middle ground of like, how's your day? (laughs) It was cool. And be like, all right, do you have a second to talk about something? Like it's been bothering me. It's been on my mind. And I think the asking of like, do you have the capacity for this can be helpful and not stacking it on other things. Yes. Also in therapy. Like also, oh. it's a you can, if you can save it for therapy that with your partner or partners, mm. that's a great space to do it. And whether or not you have therapy, I love recommending to folks to have just a weekly check-in time where mm-hmm. you're doing both sort of like a, a rosebud thorn situation. That's what our couples therapist recommends. Like what's been going well? What are we looking forward to do together? What's something that hasn't been going very well? And then do appreciations after that. Mm. That way we can expect what the conversation is going to look like a little yep. bit more. We can regulate around it, right? There's that like positivity sandwich. So um, so yeah, if you can create some predictability around those moments, then it won't feel like such a big deal to bring it up out of nowhere. 
Absolutely. I love that. It's like a container. And I think that that can decrease anxiety and the predictability factor is wonderful too. Okay. Let's go on to our next question, which says how to support a partner who is in conflict with their other partner. So this is somebody who's new to polyamory and just wants to know how to support these dynamics. Yeah. I mean, I think a good first question is like what what capacity do you have for that kind of support? I think you have to be really honest with yourself. Um, it sounds like because this person is asking the question, you're like, hey, I'm in this. I want to be there for support. And whatever your response there is, it's totally okay. It's okay if you're like, you know what? I don't know if I want to be the person that you go to to talk to about struggles with this partner. You have other folks that you want to talk to about that. Mm-hmm. But I think either way, be in your integrity about it, right? Especially as you progress into polyamory, there may be times when... Insecurity comes up for you and there's conflict between your partner and another partner and and you might feel the urge or tempted to bring up things that are going on in your relationship or, or use what their their partner is currently saying to maybe fuel even your own arguments about the relationship. Maybe their partner sees your partner in a similar way that you do and suddenly you've got this ally now on this thing you've been trying to get your partner to see for months. Mm. Um and you got to be really careful with that. It's so human. It's so understandable to want to go there. But ask yourself, am I in a place where I can really just be supportive right now? And if not, then you might not be the right person to support and that's okay. Yeah. I, I think also like something that has come up for me that I've had to check in these past situations is being like, <laughs> this is going to sound really terrible, <laughs> but like, how do I not use this to amplify how great I am as a partner. Oh, sure. To be like, oh, like my other partner is like really like not supporting me in this way and won't listen. And then I'm like, oh, I'm like the best listener, aren't I? Like, oh, I come to come to mama. Like come I in. got come you. In. I would never like. So I think <laughs> checking yourself in that. Like I've had to be like, okay, this is actually yeah. not about me. And like, am I like? questioning myself like am I in a space to offer support that feels genuinely supportive that is like have you talked to them about this have you tried that rather than being like (laughs) I will win and be victorious which is why I struggle with non-monogamy honestly like my competitive nature just yeah sometimes I wake up and it is like a completely different like beast that is trying to take over my life so I think that like asking yourself if you um, can be supportive to this person and then offering kind of like, I think support in ways that you would offer like a close friend and trying to envision that relationship and being like, what would feel helpful for like, for one of my best friends or one of my good friends right now that can be like asking about accountability and asking about empathy and ways to like support them all around. I love that our podcast coordinator hasn't chatted a single thing in the episode and just chatted Scorpio. (laughs) Just really explains it all. It really explains it all. It does. I know. It's it's really through and through. One more thought on that one. You are also uniquely positioned potentially to be really supportive in this moment if you're up for it. Like you probably have experienced your partner in some ways that their partner experiences them, right? It's kind of like in therapy. Hmm. I'm in relationship with my clients. I know a little bit about how my clients' partners experience them because I also experience them in a relationship. And so if you can use that in sort of a, a, in a grounded way 
right, where, where you can set aside potential other motives, you actually might be a really great resource for this person to say like, sometimes I see it this way. Could it put this potentially be what your partner might be experiencing right now? If you can sort of offer it up with curiosity instead of saying like, well, this is it. This is the thing. Yeah. Then yeah, you might actually be the perfect person to talk to. When we offer support to people that enhances relationships that might not be directly related to us, it still spills over into us. Like if mm-hmm. you're able to support that person with with another one of their partners, like that support, you still get the benefits of it. If you at any point in the future decide to be in a relationship again, which I imagine you will, we should swap partners when we're in conflict and help the other partner understand each other better. Yeah. I like that idea like, a lot. In a sense, because we are work wives, yeah. this also could come up for us in a way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, all resources. I like it. <laughs> <sighs> and we have a longer question today. This person says, I've become less afraid of conflict with time, but I still try to avoid it when I can. The biggest challenge I have is still being fearful of being perceived as weak or too emotional, so I intensely regulate myself to the point I come across as cold or overly logical. It makes my partners feel far away from me. How do you recommend I try learning to be okay with getting messy? I really love these longer form questions, and I mean, also, this is like being asked to two messy people. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm so okay with being messy, especially in conflict. So I will, I will try to relate. I think the fear of being perceived as weak or too emotional is what's like standing out for me. And I think just recognizing that in conflict, you will likely feel some level of emotion and that being emotional in and of itself isn't this terrible thing. We've just been societally trained that it is because it's been kind of feminized. And I think that, you know, when you're trying to be like, all right, if there is feedback that is negative about me being emotional, I'm going to do this intense regulation to the point where like I have now like been so cerebral and so cognitive that like I'm now unrelatable. You probably are unrelatable even to yourself. So in that moment, you're probably not even being authentic to what you feel. Yeah. And we go into that place when things are um, uncomfortable all the time. It's safer to like use certain language to like logic yourself out of an issue and it can come across as cold. So I think all of that is to say that notice what those regulation tools that you use, notice what they are and do they feel like resources and supports or do they feel like things that lead you into being avoidant? Because sometimes like it sounds like your version of what's regulating to you right now makes you actually feel dissociated. Um, And so maybe these are more somatic type of experiences. Maybe the regulation is less about breath and like a slow meditative thing. And maybe your regulation is like a shimmy and like dancing around or like screaming or doing something that might feel physically a little bit more messy, but could be like playful and silly so that you're like, oh my God, I'm about to go here. And maybe preface it to be like, I'm about to get messy and like I might cry right now and it's making me really uncomfortable, but like I'm going to try. And then giving yourself permission to be like, I'm going to cry for a couple of minutes and then maybe I have to put it away until I see physically from my partner or partners like what their response is to me. Oh, they were able to handle that. Me crying, me being upset. That wasn't 
like that didn't scare them away. That didn't like, lead to me being chastised by them. And I could do it a little bit more. After this episode, I'm going to go upstairs and be like, Mal, did you submit a question to Safeway? Because this is exactly <laughs> like you. I think what I hear in this question is actually more, more, more capacity for vulnerability than maybe you're giving yourself credit for. Like you're, you're being vulnerable and sharing with us what your fear is. And I think if you, even if you are really over-regulating, even if you are maybe not showing emotion in the same way that a partner does, even just by saying like, I want you to know I trust you, like, but it's still, it's hard for me and I'm trying or I'm not not showing emotions because I don't care. I'm actually still feeling afraid of showing emotions. Like even just that statement could be the statement that connects you to your partner. And then I think, you know, your partner may also have some interrogating of themselves to do. I, I've had to do this work. Why is it that I can only feel connected to my partner when they're mirroring my intensity? When they're shed, when I'm shedding tears, why do I need them to also be shedding tears, Ooh. right? Like that's sort of a childlike craving for mirroring that we mm. all needed. Many of us didn't get. And so we then look for it in our partners. But we actually, as adults, we don't need it in the same way. Ooh. So. You are work on all sides today. Oh my god! <laughs> I told you, I'm like this is. I love this topic. <laughs> it's so good. Every single relationship has conflict. All of us grew up in dysfunctional households, and I think that even just like a little bit of education, we can just give ourselves permission of being avoidant. Not the worst thing. Being anxious, not the worst thing. These are strategies, and they are strategies that we can learn to work with. This week's safe word is shiitake mushroom, suggested by our very own E.T. Thank you, E.T. SafeWord is hosted by Casey Tanner and Camille Lewis and is produced by coordinator E.T. Townsend. Our theme song is written and performed by Emma Jane and Toria Rainey. To support the show, please follow us on Spotify and take a moment right now to give us five stars. We also love rave reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Every other week, we put a question box out on Instagram, giving you the opportunity to ask for advice on the topic at hand. To submit long form questions in writing or in your own voice, go to the Safe Word Pod or Queer Sex Therapy Instagram page and click on our link tree in the bio to write out longer questions. If anything today made you curious about seeking support, the Expansive Group has a great team of therapists and mentors to discuss challenges you might be facing. You may not know this, but Camille and I actually work at the Expansive Group, so <laughs> it's very near and dear to our hearts. We do, we love it. Go to theexpansivegroup.com, submit a contact form, and we'll help you get connected. For a behind the scenes look at Safe word and podcast updates find us on instagram at safe word pod we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of safe word lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.